Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. Today I talk about a subject that's very close to me, very close to my heart, and it's the subject of joy. When I was little, I kind of thought joy was extra special because it sounded a lot like Joey. That's what people called me when I was little, Joey. So when we sang the Christmas song, Joey to the world, the Lord has come, I thought, hey, I made it into the best songs ever. I've got the Joey, 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 Joey down in my heart. <laughs> Today I brought Snoopy, right? <laughs> One of my favorite characters of all animation because Snoopy to me embodies joy. And I love when Charles Schultz draws Snoopy dancing, right? He's just unashamed, unabashed, just abandoned to the dance. And I even remember uh, one of my friends had a t-shirt that had Snoopy just doing his happy dance and it said, to dance is to live. It just captures that essence of joy, that joy that we have all experienced and that we all really long for. Where do you experience joy? Where does that come from in your life? I mean, for me, sometimes it comes from just the pure joy of the moment, right? The experience of the moment. So that might be the birth of a child, right? The birth of my children was just overwhelmingly joy. They hadn't done anything to induce the joy. It was just the fact that they were, the being, and me being there on my wedding day, right? The first time I saw my wife dressed in the gown, in the chapel, just the two of us, I walked in there and I was just overwhelmed with joy. Perhaps you've been there, you know that. Uh, sometimes joy, you, you get joy from accomplishment. I'm a trumpet player, as many of you know, and so when the jazz solo came and I was there and I was in the moment and I just nailed it and I blew the hair back of the people in the audience and I knew that I had done it, man, just you get filled with joy, the sense of joy and pride, right? The pride and joy of your accomplishments or you win a championship. I mean, you see Brett Favre when he wins his first Super Bowl running across the field just willy-nilly looking for somebody to celebrate with. That's pure joy, right? Or Tom Brady with his hands on his head after he wins his first Super Bowl, like just overwhelmed with the joy of what he had just done after a long season, a hard-fought battle, and doing really what very few people had ever done. Usain Bolt, when he he ran, runs the 100 meters and breaks the record and the world record and the Olympic record and he's just full of joy you know, on his face and, and the pride <laughs> and the joy of what he had accomplished. There's great joy there. And I wonder, why do we not experience joy more often? Because it's awesome. <laughs> we love it. We long for it, right? And any marketer will tell you, in fact, anybody who knows anything about the human condition will tell you that there are really two great motivators, two great drivers in all decision-making, and that is pleasure and pain. We are drawn to increase our pleasure, very compelled to do that, and also to decrease our pain or the likelihood of pain, right? We will go to great lengths 
we will spend lots of money to either increase our pleasure or decrease our pain or the likelihood of pain, right? Put ourselves in the position for either more pleasure or less pain. And that's the two great drivers in, in the human condition. Does that bother God? No. Does it surprise him? No. Why not? He wired us, right? He knows how we're built. He's the great architect that put us together. And so then you think of it in those terms and you think, well, there must be something even greater behind this, right? That if God has wired us to be so compelled to be drawn to pleasure or averse to pain, what does that say about God and about our relationship with him? God knew us, knows us, right? So then you start thinking about all the verses in the Bible that talk about joy. And it is remarkable how often God says his desire for us is to be full of joy. Jesus himself said to his disciples, you would be full of joy to overflowing, that my joy would be in you, right? Wow. God's joy, the joy of Jesus in us. Now that sounds to me like a lot more compelling, a lot more sustaining, a lot more life-giving than just the momentary joy of those great moments in our life or those great accomplishments in our life or when we win the hard-fought battles, right? Sometimes joy and pain or joy and fear go hand in hand. After our first daughter was born, we were there in the delivery room with the birth mom. And six months later, the birth father, the biological father, who had never been in the picture and had shown no interest, no contact with us or even with the birth mom, files an objection in the court to contest the adoption. And we were like, what? My wife and I were like, can he do that? Is that legal? Sure enough, it was. Within the very last minute, he got his appeal in and we had no idea what his intentions were or who he was or what he was like. All we knew is that he had not shown any interest whatsoever in Eliana up to this point. And from what we knew from what the birth mom said, wasn't really a shining example of what a father should be. And so we were afraid, right? We were out of our minds thinking at any day that we could lose our first daughter. Unbelievable that, that we would even have to go through that. And we prayed and we got our church to pray and we went through six months of hell where we just didn't know and there were depositions and court costs and and it was something that we were not prepared for in any way shape or form financially or emotionally or even spiritually and we got to that trial now Eliana's nearly a year old and anything could happen that day we didn't know what the verdict would be when we went in and we were <laughs> we were so scared about the possibility of losing Eliana went through a full day of trial and testimonies and at the very end the judge made this incredibly eloquent speech he said you know parenthood is not just a strand of DNA it's not just the fact that you've got the same blood parenthood really is established in all of the give and take and the sacrifice that parents make when they don't get the sleep they need because they're taking care of the child and they attend to all of their needs and they change the diapers and they do everything that takes to sustain this human being that's now in their care and he said you sir to the biological father have done none of those things you've shown no care whatsoever for this child and then he looked at us and he said and this couple has done all of those things and more they are parents 
by their actions and then said the words that we had been longing for forever and praying for and hoping for. And the judge says, and so I declare that henceforth and forevermore, this girl is now yours, pointing to my wife and I. And we broke down in tears, but we were full of joy, overwhelmed with joy at that verdict. Even though all the way up until that moment, it was nothing but fear and pain, right? Amazing. The fear and the pain and the pleasure are right there in that same moment. It made me think of one of the things that my friend Lee Free has written. I've shared his writings before. He had the series of essays called God Moments, and one of them is called Fear and Joy. Very appropriate for this message. And he writes, conflicted. That describes Mary's state of mind. Her hero had died, and with him her hopes and dreams. Now this morning she feels an earthquake sees an empty tomb, hears an angel claiming Jesus has returned to life. Sensory overload. According to Matthew, as Mary runs to give her friends the confusing update, she is filled with fear and joy. Fear and joy. That's one of the many paradoxes to be embraced as a follower of Jesus. Life has been and will continue to be hard. So we are afraid. It's the only sane response to this crazy, unpredictable world. And while we hold fear in our left hand, we grip a hopeful joy in our right. The same resurrection that awoke hope in Mary is our guarantee that God will redeem this colossal mess that we are in. Maybe you are like Mary. Even as shadows of recent devastation hover overhead, the spirit whispers, it's not over for you. It's just the beginning. Your deepest joy, your greatest productivity, your most meaningful relationships, they are ahead. Dare you believe? Absolutely. It is God's promise. This story has a happy, redemptive, glorious ending. So now run with fear and joy and tell a friend the good news. Fear and joy. I've learned over the years that we're wired to think either or, right? I either have fear or joy. I either get pleasure or pain. Sometimes life serves up both. And here's the great news that in the fear, in the pain, we can still experience joy. Just like we did on that moment at the trial. Fear and joy, pain and pleasure, agony and ecstasy, they are both part of the human condition super important parts of the human condition, and God is aware of all of that. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came and experienced pain, which he didn't want to, right? But for the joy set before him, endured the cross, humbled himself even to death. For the joy set before, what was the joy set before Jesus? That he would, that would compel him to endure all that pain all that agony, what was the joy? The joy was knowing that he would open up the door for relationship with his kids. We were estranged from him, right? Our sin had rendered us strangers. We were and have become the prodigal son that's just taken off and trying to find our own way, do it on our own. And unfortunately, all of us, me included, too often settle for substitutes, for 
really low-grade fakes when it comes to pleasure. We think that, you know, through alcohol or through drugs or through pornography or illicit relationships, all these things that bring us joy, bring us pleasure, but it's temporary and it doesn't last. It doesn't sustain us. It doesn't fulfill us except for just a moment. In essence, you could twist the song that says looking for love in all the wrong places saying we're looking for joy, looking for pleasure in all the wrong places. We do feel the pleasure. In fact, there, there are moments in this life where we feel great joy. We feel ecstasy, right? We, we are overwhelmed with that wonderful feeling, which we want more of. It's, it's addictive. We want more. And God's saying, I know that. And I am the source. I, I'm the fountain of joy. In my presence, God says, is fullness of joy. Now, now let's think about that for a minute. God says that in his presence is fullness of joy. Where is God? <laughs> He's everywhere. You, me, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the church. We're the place where God dwells. God lives in us, right? So no longer is it a church or made of stone or brick or made by hands. Now we are the church. And in God's presence, which is everywhere since he's omnipresent, is fullness of joy, including in us, as God is in us and living around us and through us. How do you tap into that, right? How do you tap into that source of the joy that is really what we're looking for. It's it's what we're longing for. How do you experience joy? By rejoicing. Sometimes we get it reversed. We think, well, we'll rejoice when the joy shows up. But God's saying, well, my kingdom works a little different. Joy comes in the rejoicing, right? By rejoicing, you will experience joy. You're like, well, what? What do I rejoice for? I'm gonna give you three things. You can rejoice for what God has done, for what God is doing right now, and for what God will do. What does that look like? For those of you that have a relationship with God, you can thank God for the joy of your salvation, right? Your sins have been blotted out to be remembered no more, cast as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. This is what the Bible says, that God in some miraculous way not only forgives us, but forgets. What Jesus has done is taken care of all that. We didn't have to earn his favor. You know, you go back to the prodigal son. We're out there trying to find pleasure in all the wrong places. When we realize that God is the source and we come back to him, he doesn't spank us, doesn't chide us. He doesn't tell us, you know, you should never have done that or I told you so. What's he do? He runs to us. He's so happy to see us that he wants us in his family. And then what's he do? He throws a party. Now that's where the joy is. When God throws a party, you can imagine the joy. And the psalmist says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Take me back to that first love, right? Where I was just giddy, overwhelmed with the joy that I'm saved, right? God has redeemed me, has given me a future, has changed my eternal destiny. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. We all have many things we can recount and thank God for the blessings in our past. Think of those things, write them down, celebrate them. That will something to rejoice in what God has done and that what, what God is doing right now. Just think wherever you are right now, God's talking to you. God's got your attention, right? God cares about who you are, what you're going through, what you need, 
and he's speaking to you by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. And quite honestly, God is always caring about you right now because God is your ever-present help in time of trouble. Ever-present, not ever-future or ever-past. God is your ever-present help in times of trouble. Rejoice. God is with you at all times, everywhere. What about what God will do? So this is where I like to think of when you know the end of the story, when you know how it ends, it changes how you experience it, right? So the first time you saw Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, any of these epic battle movies, and you don't know who's going to win, good or evil. You don't know if the hero is going to make it. And I think we all we often feel that way, like, oh man, I'm going through life, but I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I'm going to stay on the straight and narrow. I don't know, right? I don't know. <laughs> but we do know God has given us the book and shown us the end of the story. We know who wins. God triumphs. Ultimately, Satan and evil is banished, right? The end is glorious, and we are destined to be with God, perfected on the new heavens, the new earth, for all of eternity. We don't know when, we don't exactly know how, but we do know what. We know what's going to happen in the end. And knowing that, knowing that joy, will help us endure almost anything, right? So no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult, no matter how dark it is, feeling like we're in the wilderness, going through the dark night of the soul, no matter how much fear there is, there's also joy. The joy in knowing our salvation, knowing that God is with us, and knowing that He, in the end, will help us triumph over whatever it is that we face. That's His promise. As Paul would say, to live is Christ. Awesome. To die, even more. I can't even imagine what God's prepared for me. There is no losing in this scenario. For those of you like me at times that just don't feel like rejoicing, don't have a spirit of gratitude, can't muster up even the energy to rejoice because we're just overwhelmed. Either we're in mourning, we're in pain, we're stuck. You know what the Bible even promises that God will give us joy in those moments, in those most difficult moments. In fact, Isaiah 61 says that God, our God, will console those who mourn. He replaces our mourning with joy, even in the deepest, darkest, most scary times. When we have a strong grip on fear in one hand, God will fill our other hand with joy. His desire is that you would be full of joy to overflowing. Not just for you, of course, but for all those around you. And doesn't our world need more joy? Plug yourselves into the fountain. Splash around. Immerse yourself in the joy that God provides for you. If the best way to experience joy is not to want to receive it, but to give it away. And as you give it away and you bring joy to others, you will receive joy yourselves. And this is why it's better to give than to receive, because when you give joy, the person you give it to receives joy, and you receive joy when they do. So the joy is doubled. The way you want God to show up for you, show up that way for others. What would it look like if every day you and I and anyone that hears this message started each day with three prayers of rejoicing, rejoicing for what God has done, asking him to re renew in us the joy of our salvation, 
rejoicing in what God is doing, knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us, rejoicing in what God will do, knowing that he triumphs in the end, love wins. What if when we left our prayer, we went into the world, our family, our job, our schooling, our marketplace, as dispensers of joy rather than recipients of joy. Instead of seeking joy, we seek to give it, knowing that in God's presence, which is within us, there's fullness of joy, so much that we cannot contain it, and we can share it freely, knowing that all that we give, we will receive in return. What if we stop seeking joy in the temporary counterfeit fixes that the world has to offer? Stop being deceived by ourselves or by the media, by our peers, by our culture, and say, nah, I'm going to the source. I know where true joy comes from, joy that lasts. And what if we lived our lives in such a way that even in the deepest, darkest days, when we're mourning the most, when we just feel like a heap of ashes, we know that God will show up and create beauty anoint us with joy, clothe us with thanksgiving and praise. How would that change your life? How would that change the lives of those around you? Let's find out. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.